I'm in the studio now with Jim Gregory. And Jim, uh, you have a new CD out called The Hanging of Tom Brown. And I got to tell you, Jim, it was an amazing listen, listening to your double CD. And it just happens to be Black History Month. But, uh, you know, it's such a powerful story. You don't want to relegate it to just one month. And it was a story about your involvement in the civil rights in this country. Now, you didn't set out to be a civil rights activist. <laughs> no, no, not not by a long shot. Uh, uh, you're from Tennessee. Right. You had a school bus uh, that you converted into a classroom. Were you a hippie? I don't know if you would call me a hippie or not. Uh, I, I rode a motorcycle, and, and uh, uh, I just tried to do what came naturally. I guess I was kind of a naturalist. I don't know. But... Um, I enjoyed life on the road and uh, got bored, I guess, uh, after a while in college. And a friend of mine and I decided to put together this bus. And uh, due to an experience that had happened to me in 1958, I decided that I wanted to see if I could help some people. And uh, we decided to try to collect textbooks and go around to black schools and give out textbooks and maybe help teach kids to read and write. Because I've always felt that education was the key to uh, to freedom. And you're, you're from Tennessee, so you, was this your home that you were trying to do this? Yeah, well, we I was in I was in college in Athens, Tennessee, at Tennessee Wesleyan College, and uh, uh, most of my friends were, of course, out of Chattanooga on Lookout Mountain, and so we decided to uh, to head out and uh, try to see what we could do in Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia. Uh, and we just went from one school to another. Uh, frequently, a school would recommend another school in another community, and we would go from one school to another to just trying to give out books. We collected books, discarded books from uh, school systems in Athens and Chattanooga and Knoxville and other large school districts. We had a, a pretty much a busload of books, and uh, we we would leave them with schools. This is the uh, late fifties, early sixties. Early sixties, yeah. Early 60s. I, I did. We started this out. I started uh, college in nineteen fifty nine at Tennessee Wesleyan, and by nineteen sixty two, I was really kind of bored with it and didn't want to live on campus anymore. And they had I had a pro, had some problems in the college. The only thing I really enjoyed out of the college was the uh, Tennessee Wesleyan College Choir which I sang in, and uh, then when the choir director left and I kind of dropped out of the choir, uh, it seemed like the road called. Now, uh, your mission to to teach and to uh, share stories and sing songs with uneducated rural people, uh, you didn't think this was a radical thing. This wasn't something that was anti-establishment you were doing. No, I, was, uh, I spent from uh, grades three through five in, uh, uh, in California, and um, white people were the minority in the schools I went to. And so uh, I, when I came back to Tennessee, I just kind of thought that that was the way everybody wanted things to be. And, you know, they had, they had separation of everybody. But when I, uh, when I ended up in, in Mobile and ended up in jail in Mobile after a, a sit-in that I didn't realize I was part of, uh, I got an education as to what this separate but equal actually meant. And that bothered me for a number of years. And uh, so I, I felt like it was necessary to try to help people better themselves. And so that was why I got started in it. 
Jim Gregory is here in the studio, and he has a new CD out called The Hanging of Tom Brown. And what's interesting is that this was like a hidden memory of yours. It was a, a, listening to your story, a new double CD. It's a very painful time, not only in America, but you personally. Mm-hmm. And so I understand how it's not easy for you to bring these memories up. In fact, uh, you, these memories were hidden for a long time. They sure were. This was, there was a total of eight people on the team, and in the course of the travels, six of them didn't make it. And I was always taught that if you lead somebody into danger, you don't walk away. Well, me and one other guy, uh, I don't know sure we walked away. We were on crutches, so we kind of limped away. But we did make it out. And that you bothered think, you, me. You think being white was the reason why you made it out? Maybe being white and Southern. Uh, I could walk the walk and talk the talk. Uh, I, uh, I was kind of, I made part of our money by shooting pool in kind of redneck bars while while we were doing this. It was, we didn't get many contributions from churches or anything. But I assume people thought you were one of them. You're, yeah, you're a redneck. They, too. they just thought I was a redneck biker yeah. coming through the coming through the country and. And uh, so I, I made a good deal of money for us that way, shooting pool. But uh, so I, I kind of was able to, as I said, walk the walk and talk the talk. And uh, but four of us were actually from the South. Uh, four out of the eight, we were actually Southern. Were you the people. only white guy? Uh, no, no. Everybody was white except one girl. I see. Uh, was, she, yeah. She was. Uh, she joined us after we'd been on the road for almost a year, and. Uh, she was probably, at that point in my life, the prettiest girl I'd ever seen. Was this your fiance? Is this uh, woman well, who... we ended up we ended up getting engaged not long before Selma, and uh, of course, nothing came of it because she didn't make it. She didn't make it. It's uh, the story uh, gets revived in 1976 because mm-hmm. you're here in South Florida. You're a high school teacher. You're showing a documentary. Was 87? Oh, 1987. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. 1987. You're showing a documentary. Uh, in, uh, during Black History Month mm-hmm. of the famous march that Dr. Martin Luther King led from Selma to Montgomery, 80 miles march. You're watching Actually, this... it was 54 miles. That's a mistake I made. Oh, you I, made it? Okay. Because we were on Highway 80, and I don't know whether the whether the number stuck in my head or not, but I thought at first, it's on crutches, it seemed like 80 miles. <laughs> but that 54 miles, you were with the marchers, and you mm-hmm. marched that on crutches. Right. Uh, it should be... Noted too, you were on crutches because you were indeed tortured in jail. Mm-hmm. You were injured by police officers while you were in jail, and you saw yourself in this documentary, not knowing you were there, and it sparked all these memories came back to you. Yeah, I just kind of blurted out in class, "That's me," and "That's Billy," and uh, my kids in the classroom went, "What? What are you talking about? You know, what do you mean that's you?" And uh, so I ran the film back to the. Um, to the frame that showed us, there was only a few frames that showed us in in the march, but it really hit me hard, and I was able to talk to the kids. I wouldn't tell them the stories that I told on this CD. Uh, I just went ahead and told them about what what people went through. Um, so it was it was really something that that broke it open for me. You were told, and while you were in jail, you were told never to return back mm-hmm. to Alabama. Yeah, you took part in that march. Yeah. What went through your mind? Was there any doubt 
about you taking – well, you first of all, you were on crutches, and you had 50 miles to march. Yeah. Well, of course there was doubt. Uh, you know, there were there were many times along the route – in fact, one time Mary said, uh, uh, don't you think we've done enough? This was before we ended up in Selma. She said, don't you think we've done enough? Uh, maybe we ought to go home. And there are many times I wish I had listened to her. But uh, May and I both were – against it, and the rest of them kind of went along with it. So I guess I talked them into staying, but as a result, uh, all but two died. And uh, that has weighed on me for a long time because I, I just felt like it was my fault. Again, it doesn't seem like America. You, you, you had officials th- threatening your life and also taking the life of your, mm-hmm. of your co-workers. Well, it ended up at one point after we were uh, after Dr. King came to town. Uh, they knew that Dr. King was coming to town, and so they took us out of jail, and took us the four of us in four different directions and dumped us. And uh, they put me through a thing where they tied me to. They took off my handcuffs and tied me to a tree, and I heard they had me blindfolded, and I heard the guys cocking guns, and I thought, I'm dead. You know, but when they pulled the triggers, they fell on empty chambers, and uh, that just—I I, kind of lost it at that point. Mm-hmm. But uh, after the beatings, I don't know. I probably felt that uh, that being dead would probably be a relief. But uh, that was before the march actually took place. Jim Gregory is here, so you did take part in that march, and the people that you were working with, they're now martyrs, but, you know, I'm so glad that you came out with the story because their his, their memories will be remembered now because you're, you're bringing this to light. I hope so. I, I, I got prevailed upon to tell the story by four really powerful storytellers. Uh, the main one was a guy named Doug Lippman, and Doug heard me tell the story of the hanging of Tom Brown, just that portion. Well, well tell me, who, who, was, who was Tom Brown? Tom was a guy that came to the first freedom school that we set up in Mississippi. And I actually learned how to teach reading by teaching Tom. He was an older man who came and, and said, I want to learn, I want to be able to vote. And uh, so we worked with him to try to teach him because he had to pass some rather severe tests. Uh, they, the voting requirements in Mississippi and Alabama and many of the other southern states at that time required a, a very strict test. And, of course, the people who were giving out the voter registration cards were pretty much paid to turn them down. So we knew we had a fight ahead of us, and Tom worked hard enough that he finally was able to pass the test. And within a couple of weeks after he got his, uh, his voter registration card, he was found hanging and... Uh, Nobody knows who who did that. No, the the, the sheriff said it was uh, su- it was suicide, and <laughs> no, it, was, it wasn't suicide. Uh, is he one of the six people that that you refer to as your friends? No, he, no. Well, he's he's our first main uh, success story, basically. Uh, the six are the the six that were with me. Uh, all the way. So those are the ones you actually feel responsible for. Right, yeah. For continuing on with the march at... Uh, uh, 
the uh, so you're you're teaching high school now. Oh, you're retired I, I, now. Yeah, I'm retired now. I was teaching middle school at the time I saw the CD or the tape. I find it interesting how uh, you you decided to get a college degree and become a real teacher after this whole uh, incident, and you couldn't even get a job. Because... No, I, for for basically for four years after I uh, uh, got my teaching certificate, uh, every time I would apply. I was told that every time I would apply to a school, um, two FBI agents would go into the principal's office and tell him, you don't want to hire him, he's a dangerous radical. <laughs> so, I don't know, maybe that's some kind of notoriety, I don't know. But I don't know. Was that here, was that just in Tennessee or oh, Alabama? Oh, no, that, I, I applied at schools all the way from, from Florida to North, to Alaska uh, and couldn't get anything. Every time I would talk to a principal, they would they would seem to be happy and and they would seem to like what I what I said. And I would think, wow, okay, I finally got a job. It wasn't until Nixon resigned that evidently his list went with him, and uh, I got a phone call. That girl that I had met, I'd been substitute teaching a bit, but this girl says. Uh, you still want to be a teacher? And I said, uh, Yeah, I do. And he says, She says, Well, maybe you need to, you know, clean up and apply. At that time, I was in pretty bad shape. She says, You need to clean up and apply. And I went down to, to uh, school in south, uh, southern part of Hillsborough County, uh, uh, East Bay High School, in south of of Tampa, and applied, and got hired. And I taught there for seven years before I ended up coming to. Uh, to Miami, and I've been here for 32 years. Uh, Jim, I know you because you are a storyteller, mm -hmm. uh, very active storyteller. Uh, do you still do the open mics? Still do as much as we can. We we tell stories uh, first and third Sundays at uh, the Grateful Bread, which is a, uh, a beautiful little bakery on 125th Street, not far from the Luna Star. But w when I first met you, this this was not part of your personality. You were no. telling fun stories, singing fun songs. I tried... I tried for a long time not to tell this story. And if it hadn't been for Doug Lipman and, and some of the others, I never would have told it. Uh, do, do you think it—I uh, know you uh, you've—since I've known you, you've lost a tremendous amount of weight, and mm -hmm. I just found out you also had a, a, sh a cardiac arrest. Congestive heart failure and a stroke. And a stroke. Uh, does this story, does this free you up at all? Do you think holding this in had affected you? A lot, yes. I uh, the, the, now that it, now that it's out and it's published, uh, I've uh, for instance this coming Wednesday I'm appearing at the uh, Holy Cross Lutheran School uh, in North Miami. I'll be there at one o'clock and I'll be uh, there as long as they want me to stay and answer questions. But I'm going to be talking to the kids there because kids today don't understand what went on, what went on back in the '60s. They they just they have no comprehension of it. And I, they need to understand where their history is, wh what happened as a result of, of all these people. Uh, they need to know that the martyrs weren't all black. You know, there were a lot of, of, of white folks that were there helping, uh, trying to, you know, staying in the background, but trying to help. And uh, when we went to Ohio to get ready for the Freedom Summer in Mississippi, they tried to discourage us from being a part of it. They really, uh, SNCC, the, uh, the organization that had put it together out of Howard University, didn't want white people involved. And it hadn't been for May, we probably would not have, be, not have been able to do it. 
But she talked them into it for me. White people being extremely uh, dangerous for white people to do it. Evidently. Well, they they didn't think white people would understand well enough, would understand the problems of the, of the black culture well enough. Uh, they did everything they could to discourage us from going. Uh, they had on uh, mock attacks, uh, things that, you know, we might get attacked by uh, mobs and things like that. They, they did everything they could think of. Um, the, I'm trying to recall a name. Um, maybe it'll come to me a little later, but I heard a man speak there who I referred to later as the soul of the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King was the face of the movement, but this man was the soul of it. We would have, and he's still in Florida. This, this man's in Florida. Did you actually meet Dr. Luke, Dr. Martin Luther King? Yes, I did, but at the time I didn't know it. <laughs> I had seen his picture. Uh, I'd seen, you know, I, I kind of had an idea of who he was. But while we were on the march, uh, Billy and I were at the first camp, the first night we were at the camp, and we'd been walking all day on the crutches. And uh, our feet had been bandaged. We'd, we'd had a couple of weeks to recover, but uh, that hadn't been enough time to really get our feet in good shape. Yeah, because the police... They tortured you in jail. Yeah, yeah well, I was, and they they kind of delighted in beating the bottoms of our feet with rubber hoses. This was kind of a thing they enjoyed. And uh, we were sitting on a log, and three men came up, and I heard this one man says, "Here they are, doctor." And I thought, doctor. And this guy comes up, and he has a, kind of a little camp stool. He opened up the camp stool and set it out, and he says, bring me some hot water and a medical bag. And so they showed up with hot water, and they had uh, uh, what I took to be a, an actual doctor's bag. And he took off the bandages off of her feet, and he uh, he cleaned his cleaned her feet, and he uh, uh, put salve on them and rebandaged them. And he, then he started telling us that they that they would make arrangements for us to be at aid stations and have our feet checked, you know, all along the walk. And when he left, I turned around to Billy and I said, isn't that nice of them to send a doctor over to check our feet? And there was a guy sitting on the other side of me and he says, man, don't you know who that was? <laughs> I said, he was a doctor, I guess. And he says, yeah, Dr. King. And I felt about an inch high. <laughs> Jim Gregory is here, and your story, uh, The Hanging of, of Tom Brown, uh, it was just released. It's yes. brand new. Yes, it's available on, uh, of course, Amazon and iTunes and, and CD Baby and uh, Google Play now. Of course, it's also available from me. I keep a few copies around. <laughs> I'm going to be at Mount Dora uh, the first weekend in March. Uh, for the Florida Storytelling Association, and I'll be introducing it there. How do you feel about sharing the story now after all these years? Do you, do you, do you still feel it's part of you? Is it? Is it? It was a release. Uh, it was. It was like somebody said. You know what was wrong with you is you had you, you had what could be the equivalent of PTSD, and by getting the story out, you have uh, you've released it. Uh, it's allowed you to to live again. And I think maybe that's probably true. I, I don't want to put myself in the in the same category as our our soldiers and people who are uh, have been in Iraq and Iran and Vietnam and all that. I you know I've never seen battle like that. But they the civil rights movement was a war. People died, and 
people died, as far as I'm concerned, without reason. Uh, and a lot of these people I knew. Uh, many of them I didn't, that I didn't know, I came to know through, uh, through studying about them. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, uh, the, there was a, him and his mother and his, grandpa, his grandfather who were attacked during a, uh, uh, a, uh, a, a demonstration and he was shot in the stomach and uh, later died in the hospital. In fact, we got arrested the night that uh, he was, that we were having a memorial service for him uh, at this little church where we were working. And uh, it was outside of Selma, but the, since we were still in Dallas County, the deputies were the people who came and got us. And that's where two more people died and the bus got blown up. You, the bus was blown up with two people on in right. it. That's just, it, it is, it's as if you were at war, Jim. It sounds mm -hmm. like it was a battlefield here with, in, in America. It was just a, a really incredible story. Uh, and um, uh, I thank you for sharing that with us. It's, well, uh, thank you for having me. Is it, is it, uh, it's a CD now. Are you going to write a book with it too? Well, I, they, I don't know about whether it's going to get long enough to be a book. It's right now. It's only about eighty pages. Um, I would have to go back and try to dredge up more memories. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure I could do it. I have uh, though. There's a man who's a well-known storyteller um, named Antonio Roca, who called me yesterday and advanced the idea that he would like to see it turned into a screenplay. And so maybe something will happen in that direction. Jim Gregory is here, uh, and Jim, uh, your website's jimgregorystoryteller.com. Right. And uh, you can be seen doing, at uh, open mics, and the CD is available at the uh, jimgregorystoryteller.com. Right. It's an incredible story, Jim, and I really appreciate you coming in and sharing it with us and, and sharing it with everybody, really. Well, I'm glad you, you brought me in, Michael. I really appreciate it.